at Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27 in a message titled, Making the Choice Between Right and Wrong. I suppose you have found out it's not always easy to decide between right and wrong. In many situations, right and wrong are clearly defined for us. In others, there is no clear demarcation between good and evil. Over the years of history, moral codes have changed. Hardly more than a century ago, it was not uncommon for a man to vindicate his honor by a duel with a sword or a pistol. Now we look at it as being a very, very crude thing. Today, there are many questions that come to us about many things, about rock music, about dance, about movies, about morality, about gambling. Many earnest people are confused about making the choice between right and wrong. Someone needs to speak to the issue. Someone needs to give us some rules. Someone needs to share with us some concepts by which we can make right decisions lest we destroy ourselves. I think we have such an opportunity today. In the Bible, God lays down some very beautiful ground rules. For example, in 1 Peter 1, verse 16, Peter is quoting from the Old Testament, and he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, if we did not have time to go any further than this, this would be a fantastic bit of information for us to live by. God's desire is for us to be holy even as he is holy. The rise and fall of earth cultures does not change God. He lives outside of our little time series. Peter said in his second letter, chapter 3, verse 8, A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. In the midst of all our communication techniques, let us not forget to communicate with God on his standard, for he never changes. He is absolute. Jesus, when he was here on earth, was tempted to unholiness as we are tempted, according to Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. Yet he did not infer that God's be ye holy was impossible and should be amended. He lived by the code. He lived by the rules. He was holy even as his father was holy in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. Right living is not an optional degree of Christianity for pious types of people like Pastor Brown or Mrs. Cole or Betty Musladen who's always smiling or Lita Carr who smiles whether she's singing, talking on the phone or whatever. It's not just for those kind. It's for everybody according to the scripture. The writer to the Hebrews went so far as to say, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. 
We know from this book, from this record, that one day Jesus Christ is going to appear in the clouds and he's coming for a bride without spot and without wrinkle. Now that seems like an impossibility when we look around us and we know ourselves as we know ourselves. But it is not an impossibility if God declared it to be so. He is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. One of these days, the church is going to go up. As fast as you can blink your eye, it's going to happen, and you will not need a $30,000 space suit to make the trip. You're going to go if Christ is in your heart if you have been washed in the blood, if you are endeavoring to live that life that Peter said is possible, holiness without which no one shall see God. We have many standards floating around today, many ideas, many concepts. I want to help you with three things today in my message that I trust will be such a lift to you and a help to you that when you go from this place, you will know that you can live what the Bible says is possible to live. The first thing we can depend upon is our conscience. Have you thought about your conscience lately? That which God has put within every man to keep him on the right path, now, there is not a person that hears my voice in this building, in the television audience, radio, tape, whatever, who has not violated his conscience several times. We knew one thing and we did another. Whatever reason, oh, nobody will ever know, or it won't matter, or whatever, but we violated our conscience. A man I read about recently turned himself in for embezzlement. According to the story, he probably would never have been caught. But when he turned himself in, he said, I couldn't get away from my conscience. Back in Washington, D.C., there is what we have discovered is a conscience fund. We read little articles in the paper about it from time to time. That fund was started in 1811 when a letter was received containing $5 which the writer confessed having taken from the government. They didn't know what to do with it, so they started a conscience fund. Today, that fund reaches into the hundreds of thousands of dollars people trying to right the wrong, get the guilt off from their heart. They can't sleep at night. They have no peace. They're troubled within and they're troubled without. They have physical problems. They have spiritual problems. They have emotional problems. And in order to get the thing straight, they send whatever to the conscience fund. Now, isn't that interesting? It speaks to us of the value of our conscience. If we listen to it, great good can come. If we violate it, the other 
is true. We will be broken. We will be hurt. We will be grasping for straws trying to find the answers to life. God has given us a conscience. It can become seared, however. We can get so used to doing wrong that we think wrong is right and right is wrong. Read the first chapter of Isaiah for that kind of record, if you would. That's what happened to Israel. They have gone away backward, the prophet said. They consider right wrong and wrong right. They have forsaken the Holy One of Israel. It's possible. But when you come before this holy God, he is able to give you a conscience that is erect and on a conscience that is right, a conscience that is tuned in, a conscience that will produce right results in your life. Now, before we leave this thing of conscience, let me tell you something that psychologists have discovered. Every one of us has a conscience, right? But our conscience is affected by our heredity, by our environment, by our home life when we were growing up, by our school life, whatever schools we attended, by the churches that we went to, whether we had training or not, whether the training was biblical or not. I know today there are many of you here who used to go to other churches. You found them not preaching the truth from the Bible. There was no standard. There was no conscience. Everything was all right. The world infiltrated the church. There was no holiness. And the pulpit declared nothing about right living and a life washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have made a change. Your conscience was working along with the Holy Spirit touching your life. Some of you have had very little training in what the Bible teaches. Therefore, I assume the responsibility today before God to train you, to talk to you from my heart and from the Scriptures about what I think should be the difference between right and wrong. I pray that you will get involved in the training sessions so that your conscience will become alert to what's really happening around us in this world. Some of you were in homes where there was drunkenness, no love, no discipline. Your conscience was affected by that environment. Some of you went to schools where atheistic professors talked to you about God being just an idea somewhere, that he wasn't real, and you could not base your life upon the Bible. You are affected by what you heard. And as I have said, some of you from other churches who were not taught the principles of the commandments, the principles of the epistles of Paul and Peter and James and Jude and so on, you need a new foundation. Jesus said it at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You must build on rock and not sand. And thank God any man, woman, boy, or girl who hears me today can move over from the sand to the rock if you choose, and your conscience can be covered by the Spirit of the living God, and you can do what is right with the one life God has given you to use. 
conscience can be poorly developed, but God can renovate it. Second thing, you must analyze your convictions over and over again. We live in a changing society. What I grew up believing has been changed immensely in these years. There are no gray areas with God, however. It's either white or black, sin or righteousness. It's either good or evil. With God, there are no gray areas. With Him, right and wrong are absolutes, even though we're told that that's not true. God says right is right and wrong is wrong. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of what? Death. With God, everything is absolute. If you are doing things which you are in doubt about, as a Christian, it is sin, according to the Bible. Because God deals with absolutes. Now, a few Wednesdays ago, when we were studying Romans 14, we went into detail on this subject. And by the way, last Wednesday night was the most memorable midweek service night for us. I believe it was the largest crowd I've ever seen at a Wednesday night Bible study. And the Spirit of God came down as we studied Romans 15 in a powerful way. And I want to commend those of you who are taking the time to be in this significant meeting week by week and thereby are growing in your faith. When we were in Romans 14 and looked at verse 23, we learned that Paul said, whatever is not of faith is sin. What a help that is. If you're in doubt about it and you do it, it is sin because Whatever you do without faith is sin. How helpful that is to know how to choose between right and wrong. Can I do this to the glory of God? Can I go here to the glory of God? Can I sign this paper to the glory of God? Is this by faith or is it by doubt? If it is by doubt, it is sin. If it is by faith, it is right before God. Therefore, we need to analyze our convictions. I believe our convictions need to be improved upon as we grow older. Men have always loved pleasure more than God, according to 2 Timothy 3.4. So we know we have an innate problem, don't we? Men love pleasures more than they love God. Folk songs are contributing to a rebellion in morals. Lyrics encourage civil disobedience and the new immorality, which is nothing than the old immorality. Sin is becoming more and more open, so that now we have been shown on the news and in the newspapers that it is not only a problem having places where women undress in public, but now we have them where men undress to the delight of the women. Aren't we getting sophisticated, though? 
And they put their money in the little strap that is around the waist of this male figure who is parading himself before the lustful eyes of the populace of whatever place it is. Now, 20 years ago, that would have been a thing thought totally unheard of, but today it is prominent. And it is a thing most accepted by a lot of people. I have watched the faces of the people on the camera. They don't look to be down and outers. They are people that are doing day-by-day -day tasks in very prominent places around the community. But their moral code has become affected by our environment. So we as a people who reverence the Bible and reverence God must analyze our convictions. Are we going to buy that? Are we going to fall in line with that? Only Bible-based behavioral standards can withstand the moral decay of our generation. Bible-based behavioral standards. The book does not change. Some of you are here today and some of watching are watching by television, listening by radio, who do not know Jesus as your Savior. That's where it begins. When you receive Christ, new birth comes. You have transmitted into your life the holiness of God. We call it sanctification. That's a very heavy theological word for an experience called the new birth. The old man is changed. Our filthy rags are put off and we have robes of righteousness put on. The very holiness of God comes into our life. Jesus takes up his abode in the human life. Isn't that marvelous that that can happen here on this planet? We can become holy because holiness dwells within us. The downward trend, therefore, is neutralized by the presence of holiness in the life. We are we are changed into the image of God's dear Son, according to the Scripture. Please turn the tape over. Jesus set an example when he moved about in his ministry, not separating himself from sinners, but separating himself from sin. It does not mean we become hermits or recluses and hide away, because sin will find you anywhere. It means we move through the world with holiness, with righteousness, with a vessel cleansed and washed by the blood of Jesus so we can lift our head high and walk straight and tall, knowing that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And the pollution may be out there, but we are kept by the power of God. You give your life to him and Christ's expression becomes your expression. One of the noblest figures in the history of New England was Wendell Phillips. Wendell Phillips was a great American reformer and orator who lived from 1811 to 1884. After hearing Dr. Lyman Beecher preach when Phillips was but a boy, Wendell went to his room, threw himself on the floor and cried, O oh God, I belong to thee. Take what is thine own. I ask this, 
that whenever a thing be wrong, it may have no power of temptation over me. And whenever a thing is right, it may take no courage to do it. The testimony of Wendell Phillips' life was based on that encounter with God in his room as a boy. He never found anything that held sway over him in the area of wrongdoing. And he said, nor has it required any courage on my part to do whatever I believed to be right. Wendell Phillips is an example to all of us here today who want to walk that path which leads to God and to heaven and to righteousness and to holiness. Oh God, I am yours. Give me the moral fiber to do what is right, the courage to make the choice according to the revelation of the word. And it will happen if you analyze, scrutinize your convictions in the light of this word. Now, when we were in Romans 14 on Wednesday night, I shared Pastor Glenn Cole's 16 tenets of faith and life. And after that meeting, I don't know how many people came to me and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. You should share it with the whole church. So, thank you. I now share it with the whole church. These are admonitions. I know we are not all at the same level of spiritual attainment and growth and development. But as a shepherd of people, I want to share with you today what I have arrived at in my convictions as I have analyzed and scrutinized and as I wait for the coming of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I ask you to just let the Holy Spirit speak to you as we share. I ask you to listen with your heart as well as your ears. First of all, I believe we all need to practice 2 Timothy 2.15, which says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Believe all the Bible. Do not question this book. You should avail yourself to every opportunity to study God's living word. Let it be the basis of your life, the basis of your conviction. Read it every day. Get into Bible studies. Let the Word of God speak to you about life, for my discovery is that the people who are into the Word are not the people who are having to be helped as to whether this is right or this is wrong, because the Bible is speaking to them, and they are obeying what God's Word says to their heart. Secondly, be born again of the Spirit of God. John 3, 5, ye must be born again. We believe that here at Capital Christian Center. It is the only way to God. It is the only way to heaven. We are born of water and of the Spirit, born naturally and a spiritual birth. John 1, 13 speaks of being born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Are you born again? Thirdly, be baptized in water by immersion. Matthew 28, 19 tells us to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Romans 6, 4 teaches us that we are buried with him by baptism into death. Some think baptism is not important. Listen, it's a step to holiness. Analyze your conviction. 
When we go into that water, we are buried with Christ. We are saying, old man, stay there, buried in this water. New man, rise and walk with Jesus Christ, your new master. When the devil comes along, you say to him, devil, you're no longer my master. I buried you in baptism. I have raised myself to new life in Jesus Christ, and I'm following after him. New convictions, new standards. Fourth, seek to be filled with the Spirit according to Acts 2.4, Acts 10.44, and Acts 19, 2-7. Are you filled with the Spirit? Do you speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord? Be not drunk with wine, Ephesians 5.18 says. Wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Read Acts. Are you filled with the Spirit? Number five, and here's where we get to the nitty-gritty. Abstain from using tobacco or liquor in any form. Such things are harmful to the body and are a stumbling block to the unsaved. It enslaves the one who uses it since it is habit-forming. Proverbs 20, verse 1 reads, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Romans 14, 22, It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. 1 Corinthians 16, 19, and 20, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That helps us, doesn't it? What am I to do in the midst of a society that's throwing a drink at you every time you turn around? In the midst of a society that says it's the in thing to smoke, it's the in thing to drink, and it's the in thing to take drugs, it's the in thing to get high, what do you do in the face of that? You turn to the Bible. And the Bible says wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and whoever imbibes is not wise. You read these words of the Apostle Paul. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost and therefore you glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. You read him say to the Romans, it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine or anything whereby your brother would stumble or be offended or made weak. Analyze your convictions. Sixth, shun worldly amusements such as most movies, dances, gambling, card playing that causes you to sit by the hour while the world is dying in sin and needing help. You say you don't have time to help them. Luke 8:14 says, seed fell among thorns. The thorns choked the seed. And Jesus said it was choked with the pleasures of this life. Oh, how true that is. 
with so many, choked with the pleasures of life. 2 Timothy 3, 4, we quoted earlier, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And I do this to the glory of God. Will this glorify God and edify me? Will it lift me up and put me into a new realm of experience with God? Or will it tear me down and eventually destroy me? Analyze your convictions. Seventh, support the church with your prayers, your presence, and your money because it's the only thing that has lasting value. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. Acts 2.47, the Lord added to the church daily. Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Why is it so hard for you to invest your life in the church and your money in the church and your prayers in the church after the world is gone? The church will be alive and victorious. The Savior has declared it to be so. I have determined to do that. Eight, avoid entanglements in worldly organizations and business which may compromise your testimony for God. James 4, 4 reads, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 18, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Mark 8, 36 through 37 reads, what shall it profit a man? If he shall gain the whole world but lose his own soul, and what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Too many within the church today are entangling themselves in organizations and business ventures which cannot be classified as godly or right. It's compromise. It's filled with doubt and therefore destruction. Avoid it. Analyze your conviction. Nine, abstain from using vulgar language, slang, swearing, or taking the Lord's name in vain. James 3.10, out of the same mouth cometh blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. James 5.12, let your yea be yea and your nay, nay. Let there be a certain sound that comes out of the mouth. Analyze your convictions. Are you one thing on Sunday singing, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. But tomorrow you'll be around the lunch bucket with the fellas telling a little smutty story, maybe using words that are not glorifying to God. Analyze. Analyze. Number 10, maintain personal and family devotions where possible every day. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, Be ye sober and watch unto prayer. You see, the blessing is commanded to the home that waits on God. The blessing is commanded to the life that waits on God who have analyzed their options and they have decided we are going to serve God and we are going to talk to him regularly. 11, submit to church government. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, God hath set some in the church for government. Some think it's rather cool to stand against church government and spread division within the body. 
There is destruction with that. Analyze your convictions. Church government so chosen by God is responsible before God for their actions and their choices, not you. So you support and they stand before God as stewards over your soul. God says for you to submit. I have chosen that course. Twelve, refuse fellowship or support to any person who advocates false doctrines. They're all around today. Hebrews 13.9 says, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. Galatians 1.7 reads, There be some that pervert the gospel of Christ. Look at the front page today of the Sacramento Union, a big headline about how religious organizations so-called are ripping off the government. It is not the gospel that they propagate. It is not the Bible that they preach. It is a self-made gospel to elevate man. It has nothing to do with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Refuse fellowship or support to any person who advocates such. Thirteen, respect and honor the pastor as the shepherd of the flock of God and the officers of the church, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.12. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Analyze your convictions. As an executive presbyter in our region, I have the sad plight of sitting down with church boards at times, and I have to deal with splits and divisions and concerns within a body because they did not respect and honor 1 Thessalonians 5.12. And how can you ever gather up all the pieces? Analyze your convictions. Fourteen, refuse to have any part in slander, backbiting, or gossip about another brother or sister in the church. Did you have to put that one in there, Pastor? It's so easy to pick up the telephone and begin your conversation with these words. Have you heard? Titus 3.2 says, Speak evil of no man. Proverbs 6.16-19 reads, Six things the Lord hates. What's the sixth? He that soweth discord among brethren. And the Lord, if he hates it, you can be assured, is going to bring judgment upon it. Don't be guilty. Please, in the name of the Lord, don't be guilty. Analyze your convictions about what you say. Let it be tempered by love and by the Holy Spirit of God. Fifteen, seek the salvation of the lost by personal work and by cooperating in all the activities of the church. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before men. Not just the pastor, your light. Out there in the community, seek the salvation of the lost. Analyze your conviction in that. It's every believer's responsibility. We have this super crusade coming up in May. Are you doing what we've asked you to do? Are you preparing the soil? Proverbs 11.30, he that winneth souls is wise. I've determined that's what I want to be. 
Last, 16, respect other churches that are spiritual and preaching God's word, although they may not belong to our fellowship. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 9, 49 and 50, he that is not against us is for us. Jesus was so wise. Let's not go out fighting everybody. Thank God for anybody who's proclaiming God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We bless them in the name of the Lord. Those are my 16 admonitions for life, all backed up by the Word of God. You could not write all of that down. Get a tape after church. Go listen to it 99 times and let it sink in. And let it become a part as you grow in God of your life, of your home. Now last, Stop looking at your watch. I'm very aware of what time it is. I have one here, but I determined I would not wind it. I just left it unwound, so it wouldn't do me a bit of good to look at it. And honey, put the calendar away, please. She's always mindful of the length of my sermons. She always says they're too short. No, last thing, we have conscience, we have the analyzation of our convictions, and the last, Christ's words. Christ's words. If you earnestly seek to do right, listen to Christ's words. How about this? Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You see, a lot of you have come to church today and you've heard me up to this point and you say, wow, he's a radical. He just took all the fun out of my life, all the joy, all the things that I think really are important. He just wiped them out. Let me tell you something. When you follow Christ's words, you do not come into hardship. You come into fellowship. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. I mean, they're added. They come to you in bundles of blessing. They're added to you. Why, a Christian has more fun than the worst sinner in the world who thinks he's having fun. The worst Christian has more fun than the best sinner. That's really something to chew on. <laughs> he does not bring us into hardship. He brings us into fellowship. Jesus Christ had one grand passion, one fierce appetite, and one deep satisfaction that made lesser desires seem insignificant to please the Father. And as he did, he became a blessing. When someone becomes a Christian, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he becomes a brand new person inside. A new life has begun. Giving this life its fullest expression is making right choices and not compromising with the world. Jesus said in our message text today, 
Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon a rock. To build on sand when rock is available is waste. Let me close by telling you of a young lady who came to see me who wanted to marry a young man whom she had been going with for several years. She said, Pastor, I love him. But this man did not want to be tied down. She came because of his unwillingness to be tied down in marriage. She said, Pastor, I have surrendered to his desire for intimacies, which I know should be reserved until after marriage. That young lady sat across from me in my study, nervous, anxious, guilt-ridden, and she made this statement to me. Is it better to keep on this way in the hope we can be married later, or should I break with him? You see, we do build on sand, don't we? Should there be any question at all as to what to do in a situation like that? To go along in this way, hoping that something may happen that's right somewhere down the line, is to build on sand. You undermine your personality. You underline and destroy the beauty which God wants to be built within you. You pull it all down when you don't listen to Christ's word. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and number two, what? Doeth them. He shall be likened unto a wise man who built his house upon a rock. Oh, my friends, I plead with you today to build your life upon those standards which are enduring. Choose a way of life which will stand the test of years, not one which will give you only momentary satisfaction. Choose that which lasts. Jesus' words are these. Don't lay up treasures on earth. Lay them up in heaven. Jesus' words are these. What shall it profit a man if he gain the world but lose his soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? None of us here did anything to be born. But once we come into this world, we have a lot to do with our future. We have to make decisions. Choosing between right and wrong is sometimes very hard. But it becomes easy when you realize how God has set forth his laws. I plead with you to stop living on the low road and move up to the high road. I ask you to have some backbone and slip your hand into the nail-scarred hand, the holy hand of Jesus Christ. I ask our young people out of a heart of love to stop compromising with this world and begin giving yourself to the high purposes of Jesus Christ that you will not suffer despair and defeat in life. 
I urge you parents to set up some standards of godliness and holiness in your home that Christ can honor and Christ can bless. I ask you all to head for higher ground. The flood of iniquity is abounding, but there is higher ground. Head for it in the name of Christ, our leader, with your conscience, with analyzing your convictions and listening and heeding the words of Jesus Christ. God bless you as you receive this word from love and from the heart of God. Let us bow in prayer, please. O oh God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, we have dealt with a subject today that we would probably just as soon in the natural avoid, but we have had to do it by the dictates of your Spirit to us for this day. And we ask you to call us away from this world for these next few minutes that we may hear you strongly and respond to you properly. Save sinners, heal backsliders, bring people who have compromised so much into a new realm of power. While our heads are bowed and the Spirit of God is moving in this place, as I know he is, I ask how many of you would like to raise your hand up today and say, Pastor Cole, I need Christ in my life. I need to be born again, as you said earlier. I want a life-changing experience. I want to pray for you today. The beginning is getting right with God through Jesus Christ. I want you to lift your hand high and unashamedly right now. Thank you right here. Raise them up until I see them and then down again. Back under the balcony, I see your hand there. Thank you. Back here to my left in this section. Thank you. Raise them up until I see them. Then you may put them down. Sometimes it's difficult for me to spot the hand with the lights in my eyes, but I will. Back here to my left. Thank you. On the left-hand side, God bless you. Lift it up and hold it there till I see it. I need Christ in my life. Pray for me, Pastor. I want to come to Christ for forgiveness. He said he'd hear the prayer of a righteous man. Now I ask you to raise your hand. Come to Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Up in the balcony. Thank you. Right over here to my right. God bless you, folk, there. God bless you over here in the back section of the balcony. Thank you. How many more? I need Christ in my life. Pray for me. I want to confess my sins and receive the Savior. I look for your hand before we change the order. He is beckoning to you. He's calling you. Thank you back here on the left side. God bless you there. Up in the balcony, another. God bless you up there to my right. Praise God for each of you. Up in the balcony to the back, two hands. God bless you, folks. Thank you so much. How many of you would say, Pastor, I've listened today, and I know my convictions need to be analyzed. I need to come up to the higher road. There's some definite things in my life I'm going to work on with God's help. May I see your hand right now? Raise it up. Just quickly raise it right up, straight up, right up. God bless you. Yes, young people, moms and dads, many of you all over the building. Without breaking this atmosphere, nobody moving out yet. Please reverence God's presence and the rights of others. As we stand very quietly, please, just right where you are, I want to pray for you as you stand. God is in this place. His Holy Spirit is working now. And as we pray, you let the miracle happen in your life. 
everybody in prayer, please. Jesus, you said everybody that would call, you would answer. As many as received you, you would give them power to become the sons of God.